Today's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 22. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the, of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you with us. Uh, last Sunday, uh, I think, was just such a beautiful time together in worship. Uh, it was probably worth the extra time we took. We pretty rarely have a two-plus-hour service. Uh, that's long, even for us. But what was really beautiful is a- as we've been pushing into this uh, season of Epiphany, we- we've really been digging into uh, receiving a, a renewed um, view of repentance, uh, a restored discipleship. And, and it- it's been fun as we push into that to see the Lord respond with grace and with kindness and, and to really show uh, his love and his affection for us. Uh, he is calling this church into a, a place of restored discipleship, as Bishop Todd led us at the table last week, that we wouldn't be a people who are tossed to and fro uh, by the, the kind of winds and the waves of, what, uh, of life. We know that life has these constant challenges, but as we press into the reality of the gospel and into the reality of Christ, it brings about a, a sense of stability, uh, a sense of steadfastness in our, in our walk. Digging deeply into Christ and endeavoring to know Christ, uh, as Paul talked in 1 Corinthians, uh, to know Christ and his cross and nothing else. That we would know nothing but Jesus and his salvific work on the cross. Amid life, uh, amid trial, amid consequences, there is nothing that brings about stability. There's nothing that brings about fruitfulness. There's nothing that brings about true spiritual essence and power that we long for than the reality of Christ and him crucified. And as a church, we are going to keep, keep, keep digging into that truth. Thankfully, Sundays. Thankfully that the gospel isn't about eloquence. I, I've been in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 the last couple of weeks, so it's informing my intro a bit. It's not about these kind of lofty words of wisdom, Christian cliche tidbits of, of, of wisdom. I would be the worst possible pastor for you if that's what the gospel is about. Uh, thankfully, for my sake, it is about yelling a lot and refusing to leave the safety of a pulpit. That is what the gospel is. <laughs> it's not eloquence, it's not moving. That's what it is. No, I'm just kidding. But the, the reality of the Christian life of a disciple is knowing the reality of his crucifixion. 
of knowing Christ and his crucified. And nothing but that, friends, is going to build the steadfastness that we long for, the stability that our hearts come to peace, come to hope, come to joy, is in him. It's a steadfastness for your souls and freedom from our despair, freedom from your hopelessness, freedom from your sorrow, freedom from your sadness comes through Christ and him crucified, being firmly placed in him, knowing nothing but him, being confident only in him. And we can look at our lives, and I think God is stripping away the places in our hearts and our lives where we find confidence in anything other than him. He he lets us know our weakness. He lets us know our need because of his love. And Christ and Christ alone, friends, is the deepest longing of your heart. You, You are longing for something that you cannot fabricate on your own. You cannot find it in your works. You cannot find it in your identity. It is only found in Jesus. And we are called to be a people. We are called to be a church that is entirely about him. We don't need frills. We don't need the extras. Give us Christ. Give us Christ crucified in worship, in word, ingested into our bodies in the sacrament. Uh, I I think one of my favorite aspects of Jake's testimony last week uh, was that in his three months of waiting uh, was the immense measure of faithfulness he he showed. Uh, He was amid financial strain, physical pain. He was bedridden. His He didn't talk much about it, but every day nerves were dying in his leg that wouldn't uh, be restored. Uh, And his relationship to God was unwavering. In fact, I I would say it it ramped up. Uh, I watched him draw closer to God. Uh, I remember one of the first few days he was bedridden, he called me and said, I'm kind of stuck here for 24 hours a day. How can I be praying? What does the church need intercession for? He prayed for you. What 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 did I need intercession for? I could see an increase in his prophetic and a surety that God was good regardless of a circumstantial change, which miraculously he was healed, which is amazing that God did heal his back. But, but in some ways, the, the beauty of, of the disciple was it, that was a, a secondary point because there was a, a, a part that he just went, I just need God and nothing else. And, and many of us, I, I, I wanted to highlight that because I know where our church is at. And many of us, in various ways, are living into the crucified reality of Christ. We are living into the crucified reality of the story of Jesus, where we look at our life and we know we are sharing in a pain and sharing in a death that's beyond us. And this is a grace, friends, albeit painful. I'm not trying to minimize the reality of our lives but it is grace because it inevitably leads us to Jesus. That's why I had Jake share it. His pain, his suffering led him closer to Jesus, and he found him. And we know the story of the gospel, the the call of Christ to follow him, is a call to to have our lives take on a cruciform shape, that our lives would, would just embody the cross, that it would look like the cross. That sharing in his death, what it produces in the Christian is this beautiful meekness and humility. But even more, it produces in us a knowledge of our need for him. 
It produces a, a knowledge of our need for salvation. It shows us where we can't live up to what we need to be on our own and shows us that we can only rely on someone greater than ourselves. So our pain is not meant to push us from God, it's meant to draw us into God because it shows us how much we need him and when we wholeheartedly seek after him, he'll be found. That's the promise of the gospel. Again, friends, this epiphany, embrace this way. Embrace the cruciform shape of your life today. Don't let the darkness, don't let the the unclear aspects of your journey get the last word. But as Harry read in our text, and I'll spend some time on this in a bit. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light is dawned. On those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, it's on them the light's dawned. So Lord, would you dawn on us, us afresh today? Would you illuminate our hearts? Lord, wherever our hearts and our bodies and our minds and our lives are in the shadow of death, Lord, there is nothing we need but you. Would, by your grace, you impart the illuminating life of Christ into this church today. Amen. Starting our text this morning, we'll read verses 12 to 17 together. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So at this point, John's Old Covenant, Old Testament ministry has ended. It's it's concluded. He's no longer proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. Why? Because the Messiah is now present. He is now amongst the people. And it's really interesting that Jesus is on the scene, and what he immediately does is he withdraws at this point to the place of Galilee which is a really interesting thing, because Galilee is the the area, it's a region of Gentiles. So he leaves the area of Judea, which is a place of robust Jewish worship. It's the place where the, the Pharisees and the religious elite were. And he heads out among the margins, among the fringes, amongst the people that, that the Jews don't actually want to associate with. He goes into the, the dark and the shadow-ridden regions of death, And that isn't a light comment. And friends, this is the beauty of the gospel, that light dawns on those who are in darkness. And if you feel today like you are in a place of darkness and under the shadow of death, you are not outside of his illuminating grace. Christ came for the sick. He didn't come for the healthy, but he came for those who were in desperate need, and he left the areas of spiritual elitism and went to those who were desperate for a savior. And so often we think of ourselves as outside of the love of God, as outside of the grace of God because of either the gravity of our sin or the frequency of our sin, whether they're big or small. 
Uh, we, we become comfortable in the darkness that we live in. And, and when we're so comfortable in darkness, we end up fearing the reality of light. But the nature of Christ, the promise of, the promised Messiah, is that he would penetrate through the darkness into the regions and the shadows of death and shine the glorious light of the gospel on you. That, that for many of us, oftentimes I find our sins can seem so subtle, so deep, the, the core identity of who we are, that we don't even see them as such. But our hearts, friends, so badly need Christ's illumination in those areas. And there is not a sermon I can preach to have you see what those are. That we need the reality of Christ penetrating into the darkness of our lives to reveal by the Spirit our deepest needs. I can go on week after week listing needs and you'll just hear me, but you need to hear Jesus go, I am leaving the places of spiritual elitism. I am leaving the places where, where religion thrives and going to the places that no one dares go because there I bring healing. Friends, sin, sin brings forth the shadow of death in our life. Sin tempts us to hide. Sin tempts us to pull away from God and from community. It's the story of Adam and Eve. It's Genesis 2, or Genesis 3. When they sinned, what did they do? They hide. They, they hide from God, where they were fully vulnerable and known and seen by God. When they sin, they feel like we can't even have him see us anymore. They fear the idea of being totally known, totally vulnerable, totally seen, despite the fact that when God calls them out, he provides for them a sacrifice to bring them into restored life. But God consistently, from Genesis 3 on, is showing us his relentless pursuit of those who are dying in the shadows of death. Friends, there, there is a, a truth I think to be seen in that prophecy from Isaiah, that he left the, 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 the Pharisees. He left those who thought they had it all together. Those who seemingly have it all together and stand in no need of a savior, he leaves alone. He leaves them alone in their self-righteousness. He leaves them alone in their ability to do life on their own. But he seeks out he pursues, he draws near to those who are stuck, to those who stand face to face with their reality and their need. And he will leave Judea and he will find the darkest and the deepest places of your hearts this morning and bring life. That's who he is. But do we think of ourselves as those in the areas of the Gentiles or those who are in and feeling pretty good in the temple? Friends, he is there for those who need a savior. And his light dawns. And his illuminating light is going to dawn on us if we receive him. And it allows us to see what is truly, truly going on in our hearts. Again, on, on a deeper level than what we can just cover in a sermon. The, the deepest areas of pain that, that give you a worldview. That give you an idea of the way things should be. Uh, as I've been planning for my retreat, they gave us, I don't know, like eight pages of reflection that I have to, had to go through before I leave. Uh, it's left me, in, in truth, in a pretty vulnerable state uh, over the, the weekend. Uh, one of them was I had to list uh, a couple of my biggest ministry failures and strains. Uh, 
there's a lot in truth. Uh, but as I, as I prayed, I went, okay, I have all these circumstances I could write out, and then they give you a series of questions to, to answer about why they failed, and why there was pain, and what could I have done differently, and what could others have done differently. Uh, but, but actually what I saw in listing them all was this just kind of reoccurring theme, that I, I could see in that moment the reality of my sinfulness that read the world, that read situations, that read people in one constant stream. And I had never actually seen that to its fullness until, until Friday. And it took me to a place where I was like, oh, that is the, the bedrock of every one of my personal ministry failures. Nice to know. Um, but I was able to take it to prayer and just go, oh, Lord, uh, I, I need that healed. Uh, which is what, what I'm most excited about going on this retreat, is more insight into that. But I was able to, to bring it to prayer. Uh, and on Saturday morning when I went into the daily office, uh, I felt a tangible forgiveness of sins. Uh, I, I brought that to him and said, okay, this one thing is underlying nearly every decision I make in life. And in and of itself is not that bad. Like, it's not a heinous sin. But it was something that just penetrated the way I think about everything. And he, I felt so forgiven. And from that, I was able to go, and I forgive all of these people who sparked that pain. Renewed. Only the Spirit can do that. Christ's light enables us to reorient all of who we are into who he is. To follow him wholeheartedly. To receive him wholeheartedly. I think one of the, the, the beautiful things of this time of year, and it's especially beautiful for me in, in Epiphany, is coming to work in the mornings and just seeing the, the sky lit up with the dawning sun. I love, I love the prairies for that. The, the whole sky when I go to work is just radiating the glory of the sun. It's just red and pink and purple hues. And every time I look, I'm like, oh, that's what the light of Christ's repentance is. That he draws me into a place where his light illuminates what was dark and makes it something beautiful. In the same way that God's grace comes into the regions of darkness in your heart, he wants his son to just cast a glorious light over your life. And he wants to give you hope and he wants to give you a solution. Verse 17. And at that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At that time, well, what time? Again, the time when he entered into the place of death, when he entered into the region of the shadows, that was the time for the kingdom of God to be proclaimed. John, I love the contrast. John preached in the wilderness, and people went out to find him. That was ordained by God. But when Christ came, he went into the people and preached amid their personal wilderness. We have a God who draws near to those who are in need, who draws near to those who are in the shadows and the places of death. He draws near amid suffering, and he draws near and enters into the personal wilderness that you find yourself in. And he invites you to follow him. His message is this, repent. And again, this is not just saying sorry. It is not just feeling personal regret. And his message was not stop sinning entirely. 
That wasn't the message. The message was, turn wholeheartedly to me. Turn your heart and turn your mind towards me. Turn to the illuminating light of his salvation, the warm embrace of his kindness. Let your lives see the glory of the gospel. Embrace salvation. He's saying salvation is at hand. Turn everything about who you are into that. Again, human nature is, uh, we by default feel like we need to hide. Sometimes we just feel like we can turn partially. Or we can be selective where we let him in. I'm willing to let him go to that shadow of death, but I'm certainly never going to talk about that shadow of death. But repentance is full turning to God. It's It's a resolute changing of your mind and your heart. It's a different disposition of who you are reoriented towards God. Friends, let your lives see the glory of the gospel. Embrace the salvation that's at hand today. Origin, early church father, he says this, the kingdom of heaven is not a place. It's an internal disposition. The kingdom of heaven is within you. So the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not something you have to do to go and find. It is about the inside of you. Everything, who you are, what you think, being turned into the reality of Christ, being turned into the reality of his kingdom and letting the reality of his kingdom triumph over the kingdom of sin and death that has been plaguing us. It's available. It's closer than you think. This week, I, I heard a, a wonderful story from Carmen Wall, um, and I've asked her to come and share it, if you're good to come. I, I'd like her to just share her story of the last few weeks for us. Good morning. When I was in my uh, 20s, I went through a time when I would lie to protect and manipulate what others thought of me. At one point, I realized that I was actually more fearful of what people would think of me if they caught me in a lie. So I stopped, and I made a determination to stop lying which seems like a good thing. I didn't feel repentant, just afraid of getting caught. Then a few months ago, I made a small mistake. It was nothing devastating by any means. It was uh, an oversight. So I was a little bit stunned by the elaborate lie I instantly came up with and told to cover it up and protect myself. I was so surprised by my sin. It caught me off guard because I thought I had dealt with it. Recently, God brought this whole situation to mind again as I was reading in Luke uh, chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Uh, I'm just going to read just portions of it, but it's the story of the lady who washes Jesus' feet with with her tears. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial 
of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair, and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But he has wet my feet with her, she has wet my feet with her, te her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but since I came, she came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. In this woman, I saw an absolute hero of faith. I saw the amazing, sincere, heart-rending repentance that comes from someone who is very aware of their sin and the absolute beautiful intimacy it created with Jesus in repentance. I asked Jesus why it was so hard for me to walk in humility like this. Why have I never felt such sorrow for my sin? His answer was to show me that self-righteousness was sitting like a rock in my chest. Self-righteousness makes me the Pharisee. I always thought that in these stories I was someone else in the story. I wasn't the terrible sinner. I was definitely not the Pharisee and I couldn't be Jesus, so I had to be someone else that no one mentioned. Self-righteousness is why I lied all those years ago and it was actually self-righteousness that made me stop. I changed what I was doing, but I had not allowed Jesus to change my heart. My heart would never break for my sin if I thought I could save myself and make myself righteous. Like the Pharisee and the brother of the prodigal son, I didn't see my need for saving. When I repented for a life lived in self-righteousness, I literally felt Jesus himself remove the stone from my chest. That stone that made it humbling myself so hard. I asked him what he wanted to give me in return. And he said true repentance. What an amazing gift. For the first time in my life, I wept in sorrow for my sin. I was flooded with peace and joy and an intimacy with Jesus I had never experienced in my 37 years as a Christian. I had lived my life like the prodigal son's brother. 
He lived in the Father's house. He had the benefits of being there. He commanded the Father's servants and yet had no intimacy. Living without the weight of being self-righteous has changed everything. I am no longer surprised by my sin. I've told you examples of sin, but there's been many more since then. And I tell you, I'm not afraid of my sin. I'm not surprised by it, because I have an amazing Savior. And I am a desperate sinner who has been saved by grace. Without my sin and my weakness, I would not need a Savior. I also have started to love people more. I'm not afraid of their sin and weakness, and I don't hold them to impossible standards that I was holding myself to. I love confession and repentance. They destroy the darkness. Our unrepented sin and our inability to see our sin keeps us separated from each other. The darkness covers us. The shadow of death that Satan uses to hide us from one another. We access the light of the gospel, Jesus himself, in true repentance. I am so grateful for this testimony. The last thing I want to say is, I know, I know for a fact that Jesus is doing something in every one of your lives, and I want to hear it. If you've been asked to give a testimony to anything that Jesus is doing, please share it with us. We need to hear each other's stories of light, because the darkness wins if we hide it. And when we share each other light with each other, the, lightness, the light grows and pushes back on the darkness. And we are called to do this as a community. Thank you. Repentance always leads to Christ. And when you encounter Christ, I, I want you to just to even hear what she said. For the first time in 30 years, 37 years, felt forgiveness. Uh, if you've never felt forgiveness, like tangibly felt cleansed and washed and purified, there is something on offer for you. Because we don't do communion each week just to, to recite what we're going through and leave feeling exactly the same. We ingest Christ and the work of his gospel into us to transform and renew and change our inner disposition to that of the kingdom. That we, we preach a lot about repentance, but it's because we have a firm, firm belief that it is the sweetest of grace because it draws us into the life of Christ that changes you and renews you. It enlivens you. It makes your failures not seem like something you have to hide and run from, but you can embrace it and go, oh, that's where I need Jesus. Mm. We're not preaching repentance to just say, try more, do less bad things. I love that. I, she, she had a, a spiritual discipline to go, I should lie less because it's bad. But that's different than receiving the forgiveness of sins and the inner transformation that enables you to not lie because of grace. In, in the deepest mm. places of shadows and darkness and death, Christ comes to you. Friends, where are you stuck today? 
whether it's something obvious. Maybe it's like me. It's just something really subtle that's pervasive of the entirety of your life. Where do you need to give yourself afresh once again to Christ? Again, last week, Bishop Todd led us in, in, in the call to, to a renewed discipleship, to a renewed following. I think for many of us, there's a, an inward dis- disposition that's been apathetic to the kingdom of God. where We've gone hard to the reality of the kingdom at hand, and we've just kind of lived as if that doesn't matter. I think for many of us, it's, it's precisely what we talked about at the beginning. We are in areas of our life where we are sharing in Christ's suffering. And in sharing in his suffering and not identifying it as sharing in the cross, as doing exactly what he's asked us to do, we've become disenfranchised. We've become bitter towards God. We've even hated God, resented him for, for the path he's led us on. Where life didn't work out as we hoped or wanted, and in turn, we, we have placed or found ourselves in the shadows of death. And living in, in some ways in death as self-righteous Pharisees. For some of you, it might be addiction, loss of friendships, loss of relationships. But wherever your hardened heart is, it stands in need of the warming and the softening of the kingdom of God. His kingdom of peace, his kingdom of forgiveness, his kingdom of reconciliation and restoration, not outside of us, but within us. It's not something that we have to just strive to get to. It's about a transformation in the core of who we are. I love the the next part of the passage. Uh, The same two disciples we looked at last week, and now the addition of James and John, uh, come face to face with their Savior. In verse 19, it says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, and there, I've preached on this a few times, but there's two specific things that I, I want to focus on in this sentence. There's two parts. There's a part for us and a part for Christ. For us, Christ says this, follow me. Hmm. Turn to him. Seek him. Make your life entirely about him. Follow him as a disciple. This is the reality of a heart in repentance. It's a, I will wholeheartedly go wherever you're going. I look at Paul on the road to Damascus. The light of God comes and it reorients the entire reality of the kingdom in his life and changes the direction of his life. And friends, this is a call that we need to hear day in and day out. Turn to me. Come with me. Be with me. Follow me. And the other part is this. It's for him. He says, I will. This is a promise of Jesus. If you wholeheartedly, with everything you are, with everything you think, with everything you desire, say, I will follow you, he says, great, I will. Grace, I will do it. It's the promise of the gospel that by grace, God takes those who turn to him and he transforms them into something beautiful. He transforms them into something that they could not do on their own. And every second we try to do it on our own, we live outside of the reality of his grace. And he says, no, acknowledge your weakness, acknowledge your need, follow me, and I will do it for you. That he will bring about fruitfulness. That he will bring about transformation. That he will bring about purpose. That he brings about hope. He brings about joy and calling and contentment and peace of mind. And not least of all, he brings about forgiveness. 
He brings about that sense that Carmen had that for the first time in life, loved, cared for, accepted, seen by God, and totally welcomed. There is nothing but grace that can lead someone there. Not only would, would these disciples receive the kingdom, but that this kingdom would transform everything they are to be conduits of that same kingdom. And the kingdom would be so alive and so real that it would emanate out of them into the world around them. That their transformation would bring not just hope for themselves, but hope for every other person. Hope for us today. They followed, we've reaped the benefits. And I love that they, they, they heard this call, and Matthew says two times, and immediately they left everything behind. They left every bit of safety, they left every bit of self-preservation, every aspect of self-reliance, they sold everything. They didn't even sell it, sorry, they dropped everything. They made no profit on their boats and their nets. They said, none of this is worth anything because I can reorient the entirety of my life towards Jesus. They left their families. There is nothing in your life that isn't Christ that's worth holding on to. And they left him to follow him, to know him, and to be where he was. Friends, today I want you to hear the call afresh. Hear the call from the one who enters into the regions and the shadows of death. Who sees the absolute darkest places of your heart, the darkest places of despair and hopelessness in your mind, and he finds you in that wilderness. And he says, come to me. Repent, be with me. Give everything to me. Turn from everything that gives you despair and receive my kingdom within you. Come into peace, come into life, and he will do a work in us that is nothing short of a miracle. Amen. Bishop Todd.